1: Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. First, I want to go ahead and kick off by wishing everybody a happy 2018. I hope that you guys had a safe and productive holiday. By productive, I mean, we talked about this is, at least for me, one of the most profitable times of the year. If you're in the real estate space, the time to get your leads, the time to discover opportunity, the time that people really decide that they have problems is usually during the holiday. Now, we also came through the end of the year. We came through the 2017, 2018. I was down in Key West. Jill and I were down in Key West, having a good old time, got the jet ski out, uh running around with Wave Runner, whatever you call them these days. The weather was gorgeous. Some of you listening to this probably hate me right now because it was snowing wherever you are, whatever. What I have to say to you about that is, hey, you can move. It is possible. You can relocate. Well with that it probably takes a little bit of negotiation, right? You're going to have somebody in your life that's probably keeping you in the frozen tundra where you are. They are the ones. It's all their fault. Maybe that's because you feel that way, because you're not as effective as a negotiator as you may think you are or want to be. And that's going to be the topic of this week's episode. I want to talk about, number one, why negotiation is painful, and what can be done about it, okay? Why negotiation is painful, and what can be done about it? I think this is a very important topic. I haven't addressed this in in in, in as far as a specific episode yet, in all hundred and some odd episodes we're at. can't believe by the way that we're already at episode one eleven I mean that's kind of crazy. It feels like you know I should be at episode I don't know maybe fifty, but episode one eleven wow, that's. You know, 52 weeks a year, that's 104 is two years. It's kind of crazy. We're coming up on third year in podcasting. The Podca- PodFest uh, event is coming up, by the way, in February. And you may be listening to this after February. So for those of you that are listening to this as it came out, as we initially published, try to make it on out to PodFest over in Orlando, Florida. PodFest has become an international event and what is it's a gathering of podcasters and media influencers we got YouTubers there we got podcasters everybody you listen to in the real estate space no, you no matter what you're going to get you know probably I think this year they're talking about 15,000 2,000 people there from all walks of life all different things all different situations it's going to be a great event so try to make it out there if you want more information about Podfest and you just go to PodFest, that's P-O-D, P-O-D like David, PodFest, F-E-S-T, us. Grab yourself a ticket. Come on out and see me. I am one of the speakers there. I'll be on a panel. I actually think I'm on two panels this year. Anyway, if you listen to this after February. Make sure you get it. It's usually in February or March of every year. Uh, it's usually somewhere in, in the south where it's warm. Uh, It's a great opportunity for you to come out and network with the folks that you listen to on the podcast. Maybe if you're thinking of starting a podcast yourself, who knows, regardless, no matter what the reason, come on out and join us. I'd love to be able to meet you. And folks, if you're ever in the Tampa Bay area, hey, let's get together, have a cup of coffee, something like that. I'd love to be able to meet you if you are listening to the show. So today we're going to talk about why negotiation
2: is painful and what can be done about it? So let's kick off with, you know, at the time of this recording, a lot of you
1: heard me talk about the mailbox money mastermind, which is a uh, it's been a work in progress now for about two years. We've got a lot of information I put together, and I thought to myself when building that mastermind, I don't want this is not gonna be a your typical run-of-the-mill real estate course. Here's a house. Rah rah! Run to the back of the room. Run up your credit cards. I promise you'll get rich overnight. Type thing. That's not how I roll. You guys know that. And everybody's been asking for education. So over the last two years, kind of behind the scenes, I've been building out the Mailbox Money Mastermind. So we are we've kicked off with a beta group. And I like to, you know, me, I like to roll up my sleeves and get right on in there. I don't want to waste these time these folks' time with a whole bunch of fluff. I want to get them out in the field, taking action, kicking a little bit of ass, and taking names. So. We started right from the beginning of the mastermind, and we're only coming into week two at the time I'm recording this. They're learning right from the beginning how to effectively start to overcome objection and more importantly, how to become highly skilled negotiators. Because let's be honest, ladies and gentlemen, if we're not good at negotiation, if that's not our strong suit, and I've said this many times before. But if you're not good at this, you're either going to have to learn to be good at it, which can be a painful experience, or you're going to have to hire somebody to do it for you. And if you hire someone to do it for you, sometimes that itself can be a painful experience because the cost of doing that, if you hire a a hired gun negotiator, can be, some for a lot of folks, cost prohibitive. Remember, we're in the game here of investing to make money. We want to make a profit. So every ancillary service that we have to Go out and hire. That we are not because we are not good at it because it's not what we're best at. These add additional expense, and some things like property management, you won't get me to manage my own property. I don't want to be a property manager. I'm willing. The expense of property management is not an expense for me at all. I I think it's free. That's my opinion. But negotiating, you know, negotiating basically gets you to a price and a term, but it 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 leaves a lot of room
2: if you've got to hire. A negotiator to handle everything. So, today I'm going to talk about why negotiation is painful
1: and I'm going to help guide you through this process. Now, as I'm guiding the folks in my mastermind through the process of learning, I got to tell you, I'm getting a kick out of watching them win because here's the deal some of the people that thought they would have some of the most difficult time in negotiating, that were the most afraid of it, are gar- garnering the best results and they're
2: surprising themselves they're blowing their own minds We're like oh my goodness i can't believe i pulled that off <clears throat> you know i've got i have them undertaking specific tasks and those tasks are designed
1: to help them learn how to deal with rejection and more importantly how to lessen the likelihood of it occurring now there's no way the only way you can completely eliminate rejection from the mix is to simply stay home. Put your blankie on, lay on the couch and you know watch YouTube videos. That's the only way you're going to avoid rejection is to just sit home and do nothing, right? Stare at the wall, hope to gosh that your employer doesn't fire you and hope to God that the government somehow get, pulls their head out of there. you know what, and has enough money to support you for the rest of your life. Or maybe mom and dad's basement is still open, who knows? But if that's not what you want to do, then you're going to have to get out there and fail forward, fail fast here's what I've discovered is a lot of sales trainers, they sell scripts and folks have asked me for scripts. Hey, Tyler, can we have your script? You know, those, those things that are are there to tell you what you're supposed to say to quote unquote, get the sale. I don't believe in scripts. I've never been a big believer in scripts. I've, I, I have them. I've used them to help train employees sometimes or, or vendors that, that work for us, or at least to give them a general idea of, what the tone of how we want things done, but we don't expect them to use them word by word or verbatim. And unfortunately, a lot of the sales training programs you get, they the people wind up reading off the script. And ladies and gentlemen, I can tell when you're reading, I mean you could call me all you want, but I I can almost hear the pages turning, right? I hear what's going on in the background. I can hear you thinking about What's that word say, or did that sentence make sense? Because half the time maybe these people didn't even read the script before they picked up the phone to call. Bottom line is I'm not a fan of scripts. So I'm going to ask you to try to not try to learn how to get better at negotiating without having to throw scripts in there. Now a lot of these sales trainers, they use techniques such as NLP, which NLP stands for neural linguistic programming. And they use that to help trick people into buying whatever happens to be for sale. And I use the word trick loosely, it's just I don't mean that. I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek. I don't mean it to be that it's that they're being malicious or they're trying to scam people. That's not it. But it does. It Neurolinguistic programming includes embedded commands and things like that, uh, ways to get people to do things that they may not normally do under most circumstances. I will leave it up to you whether or not you think that makes sense or not. It's just not something I want to take part in. But, you know, who am I to judge? I guess you could do what you want. That's up to you and your own conscience. But in this episode, you know, first of all, I don't think tricks are necessary. I, I honestly do not believe that tricks are necessary in order to complete a successful negotiation. So in this episode, I want to discuss the five specific topics that, and for me, relate to negotiation, which have helped me improve my skills. Folks, I'm not going to teach you what I haven't already done myself. I'm not going to teach you things that I haven't tested to make sure that they work. Because here's the thing, everything I've learned I've listened and and watched and and done this and done that, but I've found that, you know, a lot of times if I don't take the action and actually give it a shot, well, it's never going to work, number one, but I got to get out there and exercise it. You got to get out there and play with it, right? You got to get out there and put these things to use because you can't say they don't work if you really didn't try them. That said, some of the stuff that other people say work for them, may not necessarily work for me. So that's why I say to people, go out there, give it a shot. If it doesn't work for you, then maybe twist it, tweak it a little bit to make it feel comfortable for you so that it works. Saying what Tyler says isn't going to work for every every person. I think any reasonable person would realize that. You have to craft things to where it makes sense to you. That's going to give you confidence. And confidence is actually the first thing I want to talk about. The more confident you are, obviously, the more effective you can be in negotiations, right? And a lot of people say, well, yeah, absolutely, of course. Well, I beg to differ. I'm going to go ahead and throw out my favorite phrase, it depends, because it absolutely does depend. Often, confidence is faked or overstated. I find that more and more every day. People feel, oh, I've got this, I've got this covered, you know, the gym rat mentality. I can handle that weight, no problem. Next thing you know, they're walking like an old person with a crane or with a cane. We pretend that we're more confident than we really are. You know, and that often leads to a train wreck negotiating experience. Being overconfident also, folks, can backfire in an instant by simply doing nothing else but alienating the other party. Just alienating the other party, not even realizing it. You think that you're there, you're using this fake confidence as a protection method. But at the end of the day, you're making the other party unnecessarily uncomfortable, and then things don't necessarily go the way you wanted them to go. And that's not going to work out well for you, okay? If the other person is turned off, uh, offended, and let's be honest, we live in a society where people get offended about everything now, right? I mean, we are surrounded by a bunch of easily offended folks. There's no doubt about that. I think everybody here would agree with that bottom line is every negotiation must end in a win-win scenario. So let me ask you, riddle me this. How can you be overbearing, overconfident, domineering and have a win-win? Well, the answer is you can't, you cannot. So going back to the original statement, tying back to the more confident you are, the more effective you can be in negotiations that I don't necessarily agree with that statement. I think that's too loose of a statement. I think there's a lot of factors that fall into that, that, you know, the negotiation can go horribly wrong by too much confidence, so to speak. So we got to be careful when we say these things, got to be careful with this type of, of uh, mindset and idea.
2: So for me, when I find myself feeling, well, I don't know, a lack of confidence, so to speak, prior to
1: negotiation. And yes, that happens to me, and it happens more often than what you might want to believe. Negotiations is never comfortable for everybody. I mean, it's never for me, for anybody ever. There's always one circumstance where, well, it's maybe it's not the most comfortable thing in the world. Even me, I get that feeling as well. I first take a minute to kind of derationalize the reasons for my,
2: my lack of confidence. And by that, I mean, I know I just meant that word derationalize, but Riddle me this. I have a, a inward
1: conversation with myself where I spell out the specific things that will go wrong. And you're probably thinking, well, how does that work, Tyler? Well, let me ask you have you ever had a, an a inward conversation with yourself, talking to yourself, kind of inside, not saying anything, and then go through both sides of the process, right? What's the worst that can happen, right? What's the worst that can happen? Well, Somebody may wonder why your eyes are rolling around your head, right? But in, during this time, I spell out the specific things that I think will go wrong. Now, I, with that said, I do not spend a whole lot of time doing this. I don't spend hours and hours and hours in deliberations trying to figure out what i trying to predict what's going to happen. Because number one, I'm going to be wrong and we'll get into predictions in a minute or assumptions rather. But, but I will take a couple of things that I'm pretty convinced will happen and I try to prove myself wrong. I unwind those thoughts. So I go to a neutral place. I'm only going to invest a few minutes in this and realistically at the end of the time at the end of this little five minute block of time I wind up shaking my head and dismissing these things as either well either ridiculous or insignificant because I can make a mountain out of a molehill all of us can I can make things a lot worse than what they need to be I can assume that the seller is not going to take my offer and more often than not I'm wrong when I think that way so let's not fall into that trap and with that let's go ahead and kick off with assumptions first of all Have you ever thought to yourself, well, they're not going to accept my terms or offer? Those of you that were in my webinar recently, a lot of you agreed that, yeah, you think that a lot. And what usually happens, folks, when that happens is we don't make the offer because we're afraid the seller's going to say no. We don't want to offend them. And those are all legitimate things. I get it. I mean, we don't want to go out and and purposely offend people. But at the end of the day, are are we really offending them by giving them an offer that's based in you being successful with the asset? or are you offending them worse by letting it sit on the market for sale especially if they have a serious problem and they need to get rid of that 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 property not saying necessarily a problem with that property but a problem that the sale of that property could solve if you're hesitating then you're supposed to be out there in the field as a problem solver that's what we've been talking about since day 1 right solving problems how can you in good faith say that you're solving problems if you're not willing to write an offer Simply because you assume, without any basis, by the way,
2: you assume that the seller won't take the offer. But what's that assumption based on? Your opinion. Well, who are you to decide
1: what the seller will take and what they won't take? I mean, really, is it, can you in good faith sit there and say, I know they won't take that offer? Well, how do you know that if you didn't ask them? That's like saying, I know that girl won't dance if, if, so I'm not even going to bother asking her. Well, how do you know that? I mean, I guess maybe if she didn't have arms and legs, she might not be able to dance with you. But otherwise, if the woman can stand on her own two feet and has the ability to dance, there is a chance that she'll dance with you. I don't care if you've got a horn growing out of the middle of your head or you look like, uh, what's that guy, uh, Napoleon Dynamite.
2: You can't assume until you actually take the action. So let's try not... Let's try to not do that, rather. You know, as humans, we often spend a lot of time making assumptions. And I'll be honest with you, I I must admit, I
1: really do try to predict the future more often than I should. You would think that I'd have like one of those Swami things wrapped around my head as some sort of a fortune teller. But I realize this is a human act. Everybody does this, and I am no, no better than anybody else. I'm just a regular guy, just like you. I go through this exact same process. I assume things I'm wrong. Ask me, you know, I'm a married guy. Can you imagine how many times I assume what my wife wants and then I do things based on what I think she wants and come to find out I'm completely wrong? Well, it's because I assume that I didn't ask, right? I, I, I got to stop saying that on the podcast because she listens to the show and then she'd be like, yeah, you even said it on your own show. <laughs> but now she's probably laughing at me, but in almost every situation, I found that when I make an assumption, I almost always incorrectly misjudge what may happen in the future, especially when I predict or I try to predict the actions of another person in negotiations. This just recently happened. I put an offer in. I was thinking to myself at the time, there's no way they're going to take this. There's no way they're going to take this. And lo and behold, they took it as accepted. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that just means you paid too much if they took it without, note, without countering. No, that says that they found the offer satisfactory or they really needed to sell this property, so they accepted my offer as it sits. It's not uncommon because you cannot assume what the seller was thinking. The only way you'd really know the answer to that question is to actually ask them that question. So Unless you've got that guy's phone number, you can't assume why he accepted the offer or she, for that matter. So as humans, we often assume the answers to questions and more importantly, the reactions to action. And I got to tell you, folks, this holds us back. This holds up most people back from taking the action they need to take in the first place in order to be successful. If you assume that the guy's
2: not going to take your offer, then what's going to happen? You're not going to write the offer. And if you don't write the offer, number one, you're never going to know whether
1: it was accepted or not. But number two, there's no chance, absolutely no chance that it could be accepted because the guy doesn't know that it exists to be able to accept it in the first place. So think about that for a minute. It, you know, Henry Ford, I think said, if you think you, you'll succeed, you will. If you think you won't, you won't. It's true. It's absolutely true. If you, because of the, the, the next step after that, well, they're never going to take this offer. That means you're never going to send, you're never going to deliver it. You're never going to pitch it because you're already convinced that it's not going to happen. She'll never dance with me.
2: Yeah. Well, don't do that. Send the offer in anyway. What's the worst that could happen? They could say no. Oh, goodness. Statistically speaking,
1: folks, assumptions without a basis in specific factual research are almost always incorrect. I'm going to say it again. Assumptions without a specific without a basis in specific
2: factual research are almost always incorrect. So unless you can absolutely prove with some sort of factual research that the seller will say no, then it is your responsibility to deliver that offer. It is your responsibility.
1: Knowing that we cannot predict the future accurately, why do we even try? This is what I don't understand. Why do we try to predict the future? We can't. So just make the darn offer, okay? Instead of making assumptions, investors need to ask specific questions that are going to result in a sharing of information. Once that sharing of information begins, now we're getting somewhere. Now we can write offers that make sense. Now we're making offers based on, behold and behold, what the seller actually needs. There's a shocking concept for you, huh? Writing an offer based on what the seller needs. Let me tell you, if it checks all the seller's boxes, I don't care how crazy it sounds, they're going to get on board. And if those answers that they give you, if you don't fully understand them, ask more questions. Further questions are going to help you achieve a full understanding. In you know, negotiations, making assumptions can often lead to you overpaying for an investment. Or worse, causing the other side to lose interest altogether and then maybe even discontinuing the negotiations.
2: How about that? That's where, you know, those things you dread like you're going to get thrown out of the property. Well, I guess that could happen if you make an assumption. But if you politely ask questions tailored to their needs,
1: most people will tell you why you're selling it. Some people may say none of your damn business. And when they say that, you should act surprised because most people don't like to be like that. Some people are doing that as a defense mechanism. Why are you selling, why are you selling such
2: a beautiful property? Pete Fortunato taught me that. And let's say they turn around and go, none of your damn business. Act shocked and hurt. I don't care if you throw out a pout lip. Because that's going to garner a reaction out of them. That's going to be a little bit of a pattern interrupt. It's going to throw them a little bit off their game. These are all good things, ladies and gentlemen. You know, when another big thing that I see is people rushing, right? You guys hear me use the analogy
1: of, of running to the altar, right? Failure to build relationships first is another reason why negotiation winds up being painful. That's because when
2: attempting to negotiate with a total stranger, you got to invest some time in small talk, you got to spend some time establishing rapport.
1: Building rapport could be as simple as talking about the latest sport event or some sort of non-political, I stress non-political, news or the weather.
2: And I want to kind of take a side note here, just to kind of a little bit of departure from the topic, and I want to talk about non-political. I don't care
1: how passionate you are about politics or religion. Please, I please, I beg you, avoid these topics in every way possible. Possible prior to negotiation. It's a trap. You will get sucked into the evil web. It just won't work. Please don't do it. I don't care if you're convinced that the person is a Democrat, Republican, independent, conservative, doesn't matter. And you're on the same team. Doesn't matter. Here's the bottom line because I know you're going to guess at this. I know you are because that's what we do. We're humans, right? You've only really got a 50 50 shot of being on the same team with the other person. 50-50 shot. Oh, I'm convinced they're Catholic. And they wind up being, I don't know, a uh, Jehovah's Witness. Oh, I'm sure they're a Republican. No, they're a Democrat. Darn it. You know, no matter what, you've only got a 50-50 shot of being on the same team. Okay? The risk of offending somebody or having them think less of you at this stage is simply not worth a small, tiny, insignificant amount of reward that you might get if you guys come from the same camp. So don't even take that chance. Heck, I don't talk sports. I mean, I don't even play sports. I don't watch sports. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that's kind of bizarre. But no, I don't I don't watch sports. And I know people that get offended because you don't like their team. Oh, my goodness. You're not a Buffalo Bills fan? No, I'm not anybody's fan. I'm a fan of Tyler Chef.
2: That's what I am. I think I'm pretty awesome. You should get on board. I'll sell you a jersey, right? Have 001 on it. Or just maybe a big fat
1: one with chef on the back. Who knows? Cashflow guys jersey, right? Get on team cashflow. That's what I'm about. Here's the thing, but you got to invest as much time as practical to get to know these folks. Okay. You got to spend time getting to know these folks.
2: That's what's going to help you understand the situation and what the expectations are. So rejection. Let me the next section I want to talk about quickly. Rejection, guys, That's girls, that's going to happen. It's
1: simply part of the process. Remember, though, it was the offer that was rejected, not necessarily you as a person. So buck up, camper, put on your big girl pants and make it happen. Be relieved And when that first rejection happens. Why? Because it means the worst part of it's out of the way. Now you can focus to getting on getting to the yes. Rejection, understand that rejection is just as painful to deliver as it is to receive. Now, many of you, you may disagree, but the real fact is that most people do not feel comfortable saying the word no. It's not a comfortable reaction to things. Well, now that you know this very important fact, use it as a tool in your next negotiation. Think of no as one side side of the pendulum, and on the other side is a yes. So if, you, if a negotiation begins with a no, well, naturally, it can swing right over to the yes side as long as you're focused on the other party's needs. So get
2: focused on those needs. Lastly, my number one pet peeve, probably the reason why I have a podcast because nobody can interrupt me, talking too much. Keep your mouth shut unless you're
1: asking questions. I have a meme, those of you who are Facebook friends with me, I have a meme on my Facebook that I put out every once in a while, and I put it on my personal profile, and it says, I'm sorry I slapped you, but I did not think you would ever stop talking, and I panicked. I love that saying, I really do. I admit that sometimes, okay, maybe often,
2: I imagine myself saying that to several people that I know. Now, you might be amazed how many times I have
1: overheard what would have been a great negotiation be absolutely destroyed by someone who cannot simply shut up. Now, as social media and our obsession with electronic devices continues to increase. Our social grace is slipping away. It's out the door. It doesn't exist. I mean, people have a, 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 an audience now and they can say and do whatever they want, says the podcaster with a big
2: mouth, right? That's me. The bottom line is, folks, when you arrive at the moment of agreement, shake hands if you're face-to-face,
1: which you always should try to be. Acknowledge agreement somehow. Shake your head, nod, thank you, it's great, looking forward to it, whatever, and get the the sale closed. Get the contract signed, stroke the down payment check, the deposit check, whatever you want to call it, your municipality, your, your area, but don't get caught up in going on overboard. To ask for even more after the agreement has been made.
2: Or worse, making it look like you got over. Save the happy dance for when you get home, okay? Now such tactics often
1: tend to upset or even anger the other party. And will quickly unwind what otherwise would have been a great negotiation. So folks, okay, you got the negotiation. You got what you wanted. Now leave it be. Now wind it down.
2: Yeah, you've reeled the fish in the boat. Now, there's no reason to throw the fish back in the water and fight them some more. Keep your mouth shut. Acknowledge the agreement.
1: Solidify the deal. That means writing a deposit check or writing an offer or just getting the offer signed. Whatever. Get the commitment from the other party. Close the deal and move on. At the end of the day, folks, the bottom line is here is we want to make sure that we're always providing value. You know, If we're providing value, that means we're asking good questions. And we're listening for the good answers. And if we don't understand the answers, if the answers are not the ones that we we grasp or not necessarily what we wanna hear, then we maybe need to reframe or rephrase the question so that we can get to the true understanding of why they're selling, why are they investing, what are they gonna do with the money, what are their expectations, what do they want. I can go on and on and on. But take the time to listen to these people That you're going to be dealing with and if you take the time to listen to these people i assure you you will have many many successful negotiations ladies and gentlemen i appreciate you spending time with me this week i hope you got some value out of this um actually larry harbolt's going to be doing some training he's been working on it for a while now on negotiations i'm excited to see that i'm probably going to put that in my book when i write my book that's going to be a lot of what my book is about probably is negotiations i'm going to be hopefully working on that this summer so if you guys are interested in, in, um, in such a thing, let me know. But as always, if you have questions, drop us an email. Go to the website. You can fill out the form. Ask any question you want. Be happy to answer your questions. Uh, go to cashflowguys.com, and you'll see the, the form there. You can fill out ask questions. Or you can email us directly, info, I-N-F-O, at cashflowguys.com. That's info at cashflowguys.com. Hope you have a great week. Get out there and make some cash flow. Thank you for joining me.